We've been journeying together through the book of 1 Samuel uh, and seeing how this book has been pointing us to be prepared for, uh, to anticipate the coming of God's King and His kingdom so we can be prepared now and be following and resting and hoping in Him. Uh, Originally, the the book of Samuel uh, was one one book. Uh, it's divided into two in uh, in our our Bibles, First Samuel and Second Samuel, and we're coming to the end of First Samuel this morning. And we've been anticipating and waiting and hoping for the coming of God's King and His Kingdom. But as we're going to see at the end of First Samuel. The king hasn't come in his fullness. The kingdom hasn't been established. In fact, as we end the book of 1 Samuel, we may wonder, is the kingdom coming at all? What is God doing if he's doing anything? What we're going to see as we look in this chapter is although on the surface it may appear as if there is no hope and as if the kingdom isn't coming, we're going to see that, oh yeah, God is at work and God will bring His kingdom. So, if you would turn with me to the book of First Samuel. In the very last chapter, chapter 31, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 252. going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, next week we will begin in 2 Samuel as we continue. We want to hear the, the end of the story, right? So if you would, uh, look with me there in verse 1 of chapter 31 as we hear from our God this morning. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his own sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, on the same day, together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. 
They put his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Let's pray. We praise You that You are a God who speaks. We praise You as a God whose Word is powerful. We praise You as the God whose Word does not return void. We pray and ask that You would use Your Word to accomplish the purposes You have for it and for us this very morning from chapter 31 of First Samuel. God, my words, God, our hearts, that we would receive only what You have for us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This chapter appears to end hopelessly. Everybody's fleeing. The king is slain. His sons are dead. Uh, areas of the promised land that the people of Israel had, had taken and claimed that God had given them, now the enemies of God's people dwell in cities that they didn't build and eat crops that they didn't plant. What is going on? It appears as if the kingdom isn't going to come. But it's important that as we look at this chapter, that we see it more broadly in the entire book of First Samuel and in fact all of the Scriptures. Because when we take this chapter in context to the rest of the revelation that God has given us, we see that Far from this being hopeless, we actually see that God's kingdom is coming. Remember who the God is that has revealed Himself to us in His Word. He's a God who's made all things. Because He's made all things, He is the King and the ruler of all that you see and all that you don't see. We as humanity, thrown off His kingship and His ruling, but God didn't give up. He extended a promise. A promise to Adam and Eve that one would come who would right all things. Who would, again, rule over all things, defeating His enemies and all who rebel against Him and His kingdom and who oppress His people. God made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the, the promised one, the blessed one, would come through Him that would bring blessing to all the nations. And slowly, this movement comes of God's unfolding purposes. Slowly, over hundreds of years, do we see the movement forward of the King. We see the establishment of a nation. But yet, even those people reject God as their King. God, in His judgment, gives them the king they wanted. One like the other nations. 
But he doesn't give up on his purposes. God establishes and calls a king for himself, David. And what have we seen throughout the whole book of 1 Samuel? That God has been with David. That God slowly has been establishing his rule, his kingship, guarding and protecting and preserving David, even when David makes foolish, reckless decisions. God has been guarding and protecting the honor of his kingdom, even when this chosen king of his throws off and disregards any kind of thought or perception of uh, of valuing the honor of God and his kingdom. Really, we can look and compare the past, last week's chapter, chapter 30, to this one. The, The end result of what happens to God's chosen king in the midst of his suffering and What happens to Saul in this chapter? The end of this chapter, what do you see? Saul is dead and slain. His people are fleeing and overwhelmed and overtaken and defeated. What do we see at the end of chapter 30? God, working through his king, brings about deliverance. He brings about victory, preserving David, preserving all of his people, and reclaiming and rescuing everything. Remember we saw that repeated phrase that nothing was lost. David, God's chosen king, recovered it all. It's taken a long time. It's slowly moving. We've been waiting forever in this book of 1 Samuel. At the end of it, David is still waiting. He isn't king. The kingdom hasn't come. The people are suffering and struggling. But we see that even when it seems imperceptible, when it's moving slower than we might think, when it looks on the surface as if the kingdom has just uh, imploded on itself, that God is still at work. And we as His people can have confidence to know that the kingdom is coming that God will bring His kingdom. But it's hard to wait, isn't it? When I was little, my birthday always fell right at the end of school, the way Charlotte Mecklenburg School's calendar worked. My birthday was always going to be either the day after the last day of school or within a week of the last day of school. You know what that did? it made waiting for my birthday even harder. Because not only did I have to wait for my birthday, I had to wait for the end of school to come. And the closer you get to June, everybody knows time just slows to a crawl. You can't wait for the end to come. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. You have a hard time sleeping at night just wondering, is it going to come? When will it be my birthday? Or to think about Christmas and the waiting that you do and how long hours become on December the 24th. But we can have confidence and know that it will come. And here we see God's people. We have more to look at. We don't just have to look at last year's school calendar to know that the end of school will come. 
we can look at God's saving and redemptive work. The, the people of God, they don't just have chapter 30 to look at. Remember, as far as their existence goes at the time of this story, as it's happening, they don't know what we know. What happens? David's kingdom is established. God gives another promise. David, your kingdom won't end with your death. Your kingdom won't end with the death of your son or your son's son or your son's 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 son. For I am sending an heir to you, one that will come from your family that will rule and will reign forever. And we have seen that king come. That's Jesus, the true heir of David. And if we need to doubt and wonder whether that kingdom is coming, we can look back to the resurrection. Does that not demonstrate and show us in space and time and history that God is committed to bringing His kingdom? On the night when Jesus died, the day when Jesus died, His followers ran in fear. They, in those days, waiting, wondering what happened. They couldn't comprehend the fact that Jesus would die thinking that that would bring an end to the kingdom, the end to the hopes of God's deliverance coming. But no, the resurrection shows us the commitment that God has to His promises, the commitment that God has to bringing the King who will rule and reign forever. And where do we find ourselves now? Waiting. Waiting for the kingdom to come. Because as we look around, we see that God's people aren't thriving everywhere. Kingdoms in this world still overwhelm and defeat and persecute and make life hard for many of God's people. You, you and I, we can look at our own hearts. Remember what we've already affirmed this morning. Jesus is King. But do you still wrestle and grapple in your own hearts with rebellion, with persistent sin, that you wonder, will an end ever come to it? Will the fullness of the kingdom and deliverance ever come for me? What are you doing, Jesus? Will you come? Will your, your rule and your justice and your mercy be established? We can have hope and know yes. Because the resurrection of Christ shows us that He is the victorious one. That He's defeated all of our enemies. That is the King that we serve. That is the kingdom that is coming. The book of Revelation tells us that all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. And He will rule and He will reign forever. Of His kingdom, there will never be an end. And all of those around who refuse to bow the knee and honor and look to Jesus, that one day, every knee will acknowledge that He is the true and rightful King. We must not despair. We must not give up. 
we must not interpret our contemporary circumstances or world history, past, present, or future, as a sign that the kingdom isn't coming. But we must look to Jesus, to the resurrection, and to the the faithfulness of God here to preserve His King and know that the kingdom is coming. God will bring His kingdom. Well, if, if that's true, that the kingdom of God is coming, then something else has got to happen. If the kingdom of God will surely come, then what that means is that all rival kingdoms must fall. And isn't that what we see in this chapter? This isn't a hopeless chapter. It's confirmation of the work of God and His commitment to bring about His kingdom. Remember who Saul is? He's a rival king. Although anointed and placed over God's people by God Himself through the prophet Samuel, do you remember why the people wanted a king? Because they weren't content with God as their king. So God gave them the king that they wanted, and Saul continued to hold on to that kingdom even when God promised that it was going to be taken away from him. Even when he said that it was going to come to David. Saul does not want God to rule. Saul wants to be in control. And the people continually look to Saul as their ruler, as their deliverer, as their redeemer. But that kingdom has fallen and it's come to an end. All rival kingdoms will ultimately fall. That's what this chapter points us to. Notice, that's the emphasis. Notice how much death happened in this chapter? That's what the author wants us to see. Notice in verse 2, the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul. The archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then, as it continues to go down, in verse 5, we find out that Saul is dead. Then, his armor bearer dies. And, and then, in case we missed it, in case we missed all of this description and the narrator slowing down so that we could see all of this death occurring to the house of Saul, he reiterates it for us. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men, meaning all of his elite bodyguard, on the same day, together, Saul's house is coming to an end. He has died. He's been rejected by God. It continues to tell us they see that Saul is dead. They are fleeing. But do you notice what continues to happen? Remember what we've seen in the book of 1 Samuel of the significance of, of clothing, of robes and of these mantles that people wear. Remember when 
Saul was trying to hold on to the kingdom and refused to listen to God's judgment against him. He grabbed hold of Samuel's robe and it ripped and tore. And God said, therefore, I am tearing the kingdom away from you. When Jonathan, Saul's son, wanted to demonstrate and show that his allegiance was going to be with David, God's chosen king, he took off his clothes and gave them to David as a sign of passing on the kingship from himself to David. But do you notice what happens here? Look in verse 9. The Philistines come, verse 8, they come and are looking for the slain. In case we forgot, one of those slain is Saul. So they cut off his head. They stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth, one of their gods, and they fastened his body to the wall at Bethshan. The kingdom has been ripped and torn from him. By the Philistines? No. On the surface, that's who's doing it, but who is at work? It is God. God who is at work judging Saul, bringing an end to his rival kingdom fully and completely. His time has come. His rule has ended. And the chapter ends. We'll see more about these guys in Beth and Jabesh-Gilead later in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. But the point is this. Saul and his line are dead and buried His kingdom has come to an end. And that will be the result of every rival kingdom that has set, is setting, or will set itself up against our God and His kingdom. Do you question that? Look at world history. Where are the ancient Egyptians, that mighty world power? We can go look at the ruins of their kingdom. What about the mighty Assyrians who dominated and ruled for so long? We can go see ruins of their kingdom. The same goes for Babylon. The same goes for the Medes and the Persians. The same goes for the Greeks. The same goes for the Romans. And so it continues on and on. Every kingdom of man, it looks like they're dominating. It looks like they are in control. But every rival kingdom will come to an end. One day there will be ruins of the U.S. A rule and reign won't continue forever. There's only one king that will rule, and that will be Jesus. If, if that is the case, then we need to recognize and realize now that the, the things that we're, we're hoping in, the things that we're looking to, will come to an end. All worldly kingdoms will come to an end. Why then should we hope in anything in this world? Any nation, any political system or ruler will come to an end and disappoint. What what about your personal kingdom? Do you not realize that's what sin is? 
It's us continuing to say, I don't want you to be in charge, Jesus. I'm better at ruling my life than you are. I'm going to continue to maintain control and grab a hold of my kingdom and I'm not going to let go. But what do we see? This chapter tells us every rival kingdom will come to an end. What about spiritual kingdoms? Satan, his demons and their activity in the world will come to an end. Jesus is the victorious one. He has conquered and rules over all. He has established His kingdom. His death and His resurrection demonstrates that He is the victorious one. Read to the end of the Bible if you want to know. Who comes out on top? It's King Jesus. At the end of the story, there is only one kingdom left. And is the kingdom of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the appointed one by our God, who will rule forever. That means that for us now, we need to take stock and recognize who or what am I hoping in? Am I like, like the, the Israelites looking and hoping in other kings and other kingdoms? And and other places where I might find deliverance, significance, hope. If If it's true that all of these rival kingdoms are going to come to an end like Saul's has, then we, as God's people, and we as humans, regardless of whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, We must do something in light of the fact that this is where history is headed, where the end of the story is going. What will we do? How will we respond to this reality and this truth that God's kingdom is coming and all other kingdoms are coming to an end? Do you notice how the people responded in this chapter of 1 Samuel? Notice... Notice what Saul does. Look over in verse 4. If he doubted and questioned it before, on Mount Gilboa, in the middle of this battle, Saul realizes the end's coming. Notice what he says. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, after the archers had found and wounded him mortally, draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But the armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. What does Saul do? Even here, he fails to bow the knee to God and flee to his anointed one. He persists in his rebellion. Even here, he fails to repent. He fails to acknowledge his rebellion before God. And he even wants to take his own judgment into his own hands. In his despair and in his hopelessness, the only thing that he can see is a hope for him is to end his own life. Because his kingdom has ended. 
The rival kingdom has come to an end. Therefore, from his perspective, there is no hope for me. Notice, he's not the only one. What does the armor bearer do? This one that I hoped and I trusted in. This one that I thought would be the king that would battle on my behalf and on behalf of God's people and bring us deliverance. He's dead. The kingdom has come to an end. What hope is there for me? From his perspective, none. And what does he do? Suicide is the only answer from his perspective. My only hope is to take my own life. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his own sword and died with him. Some of us, when the the kingdoms that we're hoping and resting and trusting in fail, as they will, and it becomes apparent that they will not provide the deliverance that we hoped, they will not provide the satisfaction that we hoped, they will not provide the security and the comfort and the peace and the rescue, we come to the end of ourselves. We are without hope. Some of you may be in a place just like Saul, thinking, the only hope I have because everything else that I've looked for is crumbling around me, that my only hope is to escape through death. Know that that is not the answer. The only answer is to flee to God and to flee to His Anointed One. Notice everybody else struggles with that as well in this chapter. Look in verse 7. The men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, they saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. So what did they do? They abandoned their cities and they fled. My hope is gone. The king that I was trusting in, the kingdom that I was relying in, has come to an end. So what did they do? They ran. Where did they run? Not to David. Not to their God. They just fled in hopelessness and despair. Do you know that Anything and anyone that you're resting and trusting in other than Jesus will fall. Some of you right now are in a place where you're recognizing that the things that you've placed your hope and your trust in, God, by His grace and His mercy, is bringing that kingdom to an end in your life right now. And it's not pleasant, it's hard, it's a great trial, it brings grief. And hardship and suffering. You you thought that by getting that job, that your life would be easier, that your family would be provided for, but, but you're realizing that it hasn't lived up to what it offered. You're now enslaved to working more and more and more. You're away from your 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 children. What you thought would provide and, and, and fill the emptiness that's in your heart. You come back even emptier than you were last year. Many of you may have thought that if you just got married, if you just had a a child, if, if you just got into this college, or if you just won the championship last year, that that your your life would be complete. 
that you would matter, that you would have significance. If you just get, got invited to this party or this gathering or into this group of friends, but right now, what are you realizing? It wasn't all that it promised. You're still miserable, even more miserable than before. And you're wondering, if this isn't enough, then what will be? Here, your God calls and reminds you there is something and someone that will never fail you, whose kingdom and rule will never end, and will provide everything that you've ever hoped for. And that is Jesus. The one that you were created to know. The one that you were created to worship. The one that you were created to depend and rest upon. The book of 1 Samuel tells us that when the rival kingdom that you are hoping in and trusting in right now fails, flee and run to Him. But it also gives us insight into the future. If all of these rival kingdoms are going to fall... Why wait to the end? Why wait until they, they crumble and hurt? Why not now? Before the end. Do not flee. Flee to Christ. Rest and hope in Him. Notice the mistakes of everyone in this last chapter. In their hopelessness and in their despair, they flee to anyone but Jesus. May that not be so for us. In your struggles, in your rebellion, in your despair, your anxiety, look to Christ, the only one who will not fail you, the only one who will sustain you forever. He is your King. He will lead and shepherd and guard and walk with you through everything, no matter what occurs. We're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait. We've seen that so far. The coming of the kingdom will not be easy. But know this, the kingdom is coming. So now, turn and look and flee to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your ruling and reigning over Your people. We thank You that Your kingdom is eternal. We thank You that You and Your grace and Your mercy see fit to show us the end of these kingdoms before they come about. Turn our hearts to You now. May our desires and our longings be for You and only You. May we flee to You quickly and frequently. In Christ's name, Amen.